There is a fellow, his name is Charlie Munger. Some of you may know of him. I think he's around 91 years old now. He is a very wealthy man, I think worth around $1.3 billion. That's billion dollars with a B. He works with some little outfit, some dude named Warren Buffett or something like that. They, they basically own the world. He says, partner, I think they, they probably own your house and you don't even know it yet. They're richer than everyone. And he was asked one time what the secret of success is. And he said this memorable thing. He said, you take a simple idea and then you take it very seriously. You take a simple idea and then you take it very seriously. So I reckon for them it was something like, you know, buy low and then sell high. It's simple. It requires a great deal of discipline, a great deal of attentiveness, a great deal of patience, a great deal of waiting, a great deal of not getting hysterical when everybody else is getting hysterical and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, I shall not this morning or at any point at any time in the future be able to tell you how to make a lot of money. So sorry, if that's what you want, you're in the wrong place. But I think the principle stands and can guide us this morning in our last talk in this little series on prayer that we've been doing. The idea of taking a simple idea and taking it very seriously. Taking a simple idea and taking it very seriously. In other words, letting the implications of it flesh out in your life. The simple idea in Christianity, the distinguishing idea in Christianity can be boiled down to a few words. I will be with you. I will be with you. The best thing, you've heard me say it before and I hope you'll hear me say it again, the best thing that God has to offer us is himself. The pledge of forever is to be with God because to be with God is to be in the presence of healing and nourishment and life and hope and joy and every good thing you've ever experienced in your life was giving you a scent and a taste and a whiff and a little piece of hearing of what it's going to be like to be forever and fully in the presence of God. When you find that Snickers satisfies, it's a lie, later it won't, but that first bite, you know, it's a foretaste of what presence, the presence of God will be, and so forever and always in the Bible, that's the kind of thing that you're urged to believe, I will be with you, that's why Moses said, how can we be distinguished, you said, I found favor with you, you said that you know my name, but how is anybody going to know? that we found favor with you, or that you know my name, how's anybody going to know that if you don't go with us? If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. We don't want to go to the supposed promised land if you're not with us. And Jesus, of course, tells his disciples, if you stick with me, all kinds of life is going to team out of you. Your life is going to be electrically charged with all kinds of good stuff flowing out of you. But if you're not connected to me, your life is going to wither and you're going to become very emaciated. 
Take a simple idea and make it something that you take very seriously in your life. And the simple idea of Christianity is, I will be with you. I can hear Amy Grant in the background of our house and the Christmas music that's looping 24-7 starting in October. Just kidding. That's Calvin's house. (laughs) Calvin likes Christmas. I don't know about the rest, but Calvin does. Do you have your tree up already? Slacker. (laughs) They listened to Christmas music this morning. He has a problem. But Amy Grant was, Emmanuel, God with us. She, all right, she sounds kind of better than that. But the idea when Jesus came into the world was, look, you've not been abandoned by God. God is coming and taking up residence here. The terror of being kicked out of the garden at the beginning was the terror of being isolated, alienated, walking the earth without the presence of God. The joy of Pentecost and of the personal Pentecost that comes whenever anyone says, Jesus, all right, I cry, uncle, I want you in my life. The veil is torn away and the spirit comes. The presence of God has gone viral. And it's in every individual believer who trusts him, who calls on the name of the Lord. Take a simple idea and take it very seriously. The other day, a guy named Julian Edelman, some of you may have heard of him, He's a football player for the New England Patriots. He was a quarterback in college. He's now a receiver. And they love him in Boston. Why wouldn't they? He's fantastic. He's awesome to watch. And they interviewed this man. They interviewed Julian. They said, Julian, are you Jewish? You're Jewish, right? And he said, Jew-ish. Which I thought was a great answer. Yeah, I'm Jew-ish. And I'm wondering if a lot of us would say, I'm Christian-ish. Because we haven't taken our main idea, the simple idea, and taken it very seriously. Prepared ourselves to act as if it were true. You know, Dallas Willard has said that belief, which is sort of a foundational stone of Christianity, the life I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We walk by faith and not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Willard said, you want a definition of faith? Faith is being prepared to act as if something were so. When you believe, you're being prepared to act as if something were so. This is the whole premise of the women's if gathering. If this stuff we believe is true, what would we do? If we believed it was true, what risks would we take? What fears would we ignore? What sacrifices would we make? What generosities would we show? What kindnesses would we offer? We're taking a simple idea and we're taking it very seriously. God has said, I am with you even to the end of the age. This is your promise. You don't have to be Jew-ish. You can be a full Christian who counts on the presence of God with you every moment of every day. And so the apostle gives us a practice. He gives us a way to take this idea very seriously, a foundational stone which will help us take this simple idea of God with us very seriously. 
And it's what we've been talking about, which makes it a nice bow to tie on the end of this sermon series. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves, he says, to prayer, being watchful and thankful. He's already told us in other places, set your eyes, set your mind, set your heart, all these different ways of talking about our inner reality, set them on things above, not on things on earth. The reason he has to say that is because it's so easy for us to preference things we can see. To be concerned, you've got to get the flat tire fixed. You've got to get your teeth cleaned. You've got to take the garbage out. You've got to wash the dishes. You've got to file your expense reports. You've got to go to a meeting. These things are right in front of your eyes. He says these slight momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal. It goes on forever. What is seen is temporary. And he knows that prayer, which feels like nothing. Do you hear me saying that? It often feels like nothing. C.S. Lewis said, it's very irksome. And that's a word you use a lot. I'm sure I've heard you. Fiddlesticks. This is so irksome, you might say. If, you know, because you live in a Jane Austen novel. <laughs> Bothersome, agitating, irritating. Makes you madder than a hornet. Hotter than a fiery cracker. People say that one too, I've heard it. But the apostle says you need training. You need training in taking seriously the unseen. And prayer is the avenue. This is where it all starts. This is where the mission of God starts. This is where the accomplishment of what God intends in your life and other lives start. This is where it all goes down. This is where you learn, I am with you. Moses went to the place where God's presence came down. People saw it. When he came out, his face was radiating. So that they couldn't even look him in the eye. Without getting sunburned. Something like that. And they didn't have no bullfrog back then. Chatham wasn't around. So they had to use a veil. Moses talked to God face to face as a man does with his friend. That's where you learn the presence of God. That's where you learn to count on the presence of God. That's where you learn to believe in the unseen that the presence of God is unleashed in the earth and is active in all the things that you're participating in. I will be with you. It's taking a simple idea and taking it seriously. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. If you devote yourself to prayer, you're going to learn how to train the eyes of your insides to believe in unseen things so that this can rule you and direct you and it can stain every part of your life as you go out into it. It can flavor every part of your life like a drop of sugar in a hot cup of tea. It can flavor everything that you do as you learn to appropriate and realize the presence of God in your life. But you feel so silly sometimes. And you've got to learn that out of this nothingness, God creates ex nihilo. we got some Latin people in here, and I just wanted to impress them with that. Theologians would say God created ex nihilo out of nothing. Ex out of nihilo, nothing. He didn't need no raw materials. 
He didn't have to go to the salvage yard. He didn't have to cut down any trees to build a house. He spoke, and it came into being. He speaks, and it is. He calls things that are not as though they were. All he has to do is say the word, and it happens. Cupcake, and it's there. I'm not hungry. He just speaks the word, and it comes. And you have to learn in prayer that this thing where I'm talking to someone that I don't know if they're really there. Because I know a lot of you, this is something you deal with. You wonder when you pray, am I just talking to the air? The other day, I had a break in between appointments downtown. And I tried, I'm trying to pray a certain amount each day. And I try to take, you know, pray in different times. And so I, I had the place I was trying to pray. I was downtown. I was stuck downtown. So I went down into a, I was in a parking lot. Where just cars were, I thought. Just cars were, I thought. And I was down below in a parking lot. It was fairly covered and isolated, I thought. And so I'm walking back and forth, pacing and talking, and no doubt doing my hands like this, and I'm talking out loud, and then suddenly here comes a man walking beside me across the way. And I just have this sense of like, now how do I reassure him that I'm not going to kill him? Like, what must he be thinking? I couldn't have felt more foolish. Here I am in this place that I thought was fairly private because it's downtown. There wouldn't be any people downtown. And here comes this guy, and he's trying not to act embarrassed, I'm sure. I don't know. I may be projecting. But I'm just muttering, and people are crossing the other side of the street. It feels like nothing. You feel like a crazy person. But when you devote yourself to it, you start to say, it's not a crazy person. I can't live without it. Devote yourselves to prayer being thankful and watchful. Being watchful and thankful. You think about devotion in your life. What does it mean to be devoted to something? Don't think of spiritual practice as something altogether different than every other practice in your life. What are you devoted to? If you were devoted to CrossFit... Like a psychopath, you would get up and you would be downtown on East Main, you know, at 5.30 in the morning, the fire hydrant on one shoulder and the refrigerator on the other doing back squats. And then you'd eat some raw eggs and kale smoothie. You'd like pour it over your head just to be like, Because you would be so... You're so devoted to this exercise that's changing you. And then you'd have stickers on your car. Probably tats on your biceps so you could show your guns. Things up the side of your lats. You're devoted. But you wouldn't say, you know what, I'm going to do CrossFit while I'm doing the dishes. I'll just get some CrossFit in while I'm doing the dishes. I'll do some deep knee squats, uh, air squats while I'm, while I'm scrubbing here. Do a, few, do a few pull-ups while I'm watching TV. Do some kettlebells while I'm driving. Mm, mm. You can't do that. It's very hard. You can't just do it all the time while you're doing something else. You've got to carve out space and say, this is my devotion. And you start to say, what's the cost of not doing this? Anybody who exercises regularly or does anything regularly, they say, what's the cost of not doing this? I decide I'm going to brush my teeth, whether I care about it or not, because I, you know, I like teeth. I like having them. I bet you do too. Your kids, they don't know any better. They might not want to brush their teeth. But you go ahead and do it, whether you feel like it or not, because you know you'd, you'd like them to stay intact. 
without having holes in them or falling out. What's the cost of not being devoted to prayer? What's the cost of my life shrinking down to just the size of my own problems? The cost of my life shrinking down to powerlessness? The cost of my life being absorbed with just my resentments and the hurts that have been perpetrated against me? What's the cost of me being pushed down into a very tiny person who has only in their head a future without God, which is to say my anxieties? I start to scratch. Oh, I'm itching. Why am I itching? I must have lupus. Has that ever happened to you? It takes you more. It might take you 45 seconds to get to lupus. But you know it happens. Your imagination gallops, and if God is not present in it, if you haven't calculated the cost of not being devoted to prayer, where you get to meet up with the presence of God, taking this simple idea very seriously, then you reduce your life down to something very small. And so here's some suggestions for how you might practice this. Hopefully rapid-fire suggestions. One, use your schedule. Or for our British friends, your schedule. That's for you, Canon. Schedule. Get a can of aluminum. Okay. What you want to do is use your schedule because that is the sacrosanct thing in our culture, in our day, in our time. Time is money, all that stuff. Try to get three people together ever for any reason at all and see if it, you can do it within three months. Because people say, I can't do it. My schedule won't permit it. I've got an appointment at that time. I can't do it. Great. That's how it works. So you make appointments. You make dental appointments. You make appointments to see your insurance broker. You make appointments to take your car into the shop for maintenance. You make appointments to meet the guy, the plumber, the guy who's going to see about your roof. You make appointments to go watch your kids play soccer. Make appointments to say, I'm going to take this simple idea of the presence of God so seriously that I'm actually going to embed it in my schedule like a crazy person who believes this is a real thing. Because I need the presence of God. I need the action of God. I need to be watchful and thankful and see the grace of God unleashed in my business, in my home, in my personal life, in my parenting, in my body, in my community, in the world. Use your schedule. And then keep it. Don't think you're being dishonest when someone says, hey, can you come do this on Thursday afternoon at 4? You say, no, I have an appointment. You don't have to be a weirdo and say, I have an appointment with Jesus. You don't have to say that. That would be weird. They ought to hit you in the nose if you say that. But say you have an appointment. Say my calendar won't permit it. And that is the sole authority that anybody needs for anything. Okay, your calendar won't permit it. Got it. And then go be with them. And take it very seriously. Second thing, use your schedule. If you want to be devoted to, pray the hours. You know what's interesting to me? When I read through the book of Acts, the, the historical detail, a very bizarre historical detail, but there's one place early on in Acts, in Acts chapter 3, I think, where John and Peter are going up to the temple at 3 o'clock to pray. Why does Luke tell us 3 o'clock? Well, one, it's a historical detail that lets you know it actually happened. They run into a a, a lame man who's begging for money. And he says, silver and gold, I cannot give you. What I give you in the name of Jesus, I do. Walk. And then the dude is like running the 100 in under 10 seconds. Not quite that fast. But he's excited, exuberant. He's seen the gift of God. And it's interesting that they did this at 3 o'clock when they were going up to the temple to pray. 
Then later on in chapter 10, Cornelius, who's the first Gentile convert, you know what happens to him? At about 3 o'clock, this dude who prays and gives gifts to the poor, an angel comes to him at 3 o'clock while he's praying. Around 3 o'clock, that's what we're told. It says, hey, your gifts, have been, your gifts to the poor, your, your prayers, they've been heard. God wants to show you something really good that he's up to in the world. There's going to be a guy coming to see you. And then that guy happens to be praying. His name is Peter. In the next chapter, it says, at noon, Peter went up on the roof to pray. At noon. And then he got hungry, you know, because he was a guy, a person, and he was hungry. And while the meal was being prepared, it was a long line, he fell into a trance and then God showed him, don't call anybody unclean that I say is clean. What you think of as dogs, I think of as friends. What you think of as the outside, I think of as sons and daughters. Welcome the men. Go see this dude, Cornelius, this man of the Italian regiment. Dang Roman. Go welcome him into the kingdom of God. All of this happened, we're told, at 3 o'clock, at 12 o'clock. You know why? Because pious Jews would have prayed at certain hours. They would have just interrupted their day as if there was something more important than commerce or vanity or envy to pursue. As if their business depended on them involving God in their business. So they would stop. And so people have prayed at 9, at 12, at 3, at 6. If you're a monk in a Benedictine monastery, you would pray at 6, 9, 12, 3, 6, 9, 12, 3. That's at both ends of the a.m. and the p.m. I'm not asking you to do that. You need some sleep. But isn't it worth considering that for someone who takes a simple idea like I will be with you and says, I'm going to take it seriously, that you would make space in your day and you say, I'm going to use iPrecious for some redeemable activity. I'm going to set a reminder. I'm going to set a clock like somebody would to take their medicine. Only my medicine is to remind myself that the world is superintended by my shepherd who restores my soul. By the sovereign Lord whose presence, apart from which I can do nothing. Who when I do not know what to do, I can look to him. And so at 9 o'clock, I'm going to pause for five minutes. Or at 12 o'clock, I'm going to pause for five minutes. And I'm going to read a psalm. And I'm going to reorient myself to reality. Because my head is spinning with all that I have to do. One of the to-do lists that is chasing down the day. And I'm going to pause. And I'm going to remind myself, oh yeah, Jesus. Oh yeah, I belong to him. Oh yeah, he's active in the world. Oh yeah, I'm his, I'm his instrument. And I'm offering myself up to him as an instrument of righteousness. And I'm saying, Lord, spend me today as you wish. Do good through me. To my clients, to my customers, to these little urchins for whom I am making lunch. Do good through me. Let me not be ruled by my own self-preoccupation. Liberate me from my prison that I may praise your name, that I may demonstrate your goodness to the world. Use your schedule. Pray the hours. Be willing to pray in movement. A number of you have told me this. One of my main problems in prayer is I get so doggone distracted. And whenever I've seen that, I say, what's wrong with you? You unholy people who have used too much internet and your brain synapses have fired mistakenly now. I just say, welcome to being a person who prays if you get distracted. And I guess, welcome to being a person in our present milieu, 2015, with the interwebs and the Google Knots and all that stuff. 
Because your brain is fried. How could you concentrate on anything for more than five minutes? You've been taught by clickbait. Click, 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 click. Nothing happens slow. Everything happens fast. Follow your mouse. Fingers. I don't know. You're going to be distracted. But you know what a lot of people have told me? They said, hey, I find I pray best when I run. Or when I go out for a walk and I'm in movement, when my body is active, my mind can be still. Does it count if I pray while I run? Someone asked me. And I said, oh, no. (laughs) No, I said, yeah, I think it does. I hope it does. Because for some of you, it's the only quiet you're ever going to get. And it really does help you focus when you're out doing something, you're moving. I can't, as you can tell, I can't sit still for more than three seconds. I get 6,000 steps in one sermon on this little Fitbit thing. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. But I can't sit still since I was a little kid. When I walk, when I think, when I read, I like to move. I like to walk. I like to pace. I used to pace around the library at RTS like a crazy person. Reading. You cannot fall asleep while you're walking. Try it. You can't. If I sit down and try to pray, I'll fall asleep. I'll get bored. I can't do it. I cannot pray in my head. I can't do it. You might be able to. You might have greater mental acuity and faculty than I do. Great. I don't have it, so I have to move. When your body's movement, sometimes your mind can be still. One woman said, when I was, when I was a younger mother, I had been told, pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Pray while you're washing the dishes. Pray while you're preparing lunch in the morning. Pray while you're folding the laundry. Pray while you're going to get the kids and picking them up from soccer practice. And she said, and I did that, and that, that was something. I don't discount that. That's, that's good. But there was something in me that hearkened and, 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 and hunted and wanted for something more. And my husband would let me go out to pray, but I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. There was always a pile of dishes sitting there. You know how laundry works. You do all the laundry in the house. You fold it. You turn around. And it's all empty and it's all dirty and stained with mud. And it took that fast. How does that? I don't know. That's what laundry does. Cleaning works that same way too. There's always some piddling to do around your house. There's always something to do at your house. There's always some more business to do. There's always another call to make. There's never a good time to go pray. She said, you know what I decided to do? Because it was so hard to leave the dishes, I just decided one day I've got to do it. I've just got to leave the dishes and go outside and spend some time with God. And she said, when I first got outside, I became aware of an ache in my chest. I was so hurting for troubled marriages around me and and friends who were sick. And and I realized I was worried about my children. And I started to realize this was a precious time where the presence of God became real to me and I could spread out my troubles before him. She started to realize there's a cost of not doing this. I can't live this emaciated life. I've got to take this simple idea very seriously. And sometimes that means I've got to get moving. I've got to get out of my normal circumstances where I'm going to be distracted. I've got to get somewhere where I'm not to be devoted to prayer. And the other part is this. You've got to be hypocritical sometimes to your feelings if you're going to do this. That's Larry Crabb's phrase. It's a good principle in, in all. If you're ever going to do anything of importance in your life, you're going to have to be hypocritical to your feelings sometimes, which is to say, disobey your feelings. 
A man, and you've known this if you've ever exercised in any way at all, a man who decided he was going to run a whole bunch in a year and try to lose weight, he said, the first five minutes, and you know this if you run, the first five minutes are the most critical. I start jogging and every bone in my body starts screaming at me, you idiot! This is stupid! You're killing us! Don't you see the irony here that you're killing us to prolong your life? This is terrible. Think how nice your couch would be. Wouldn't a bowl of ice cream be nice right now? And he says, if I can make it, if I can make it, if I can ignore those voices for five minutes, I can run for 45. But that threshold is the first five minutes. There's a lot of your life that works that way. Almost nothing when you're sitting down feels good to do. I think I'll just, because, you know, an object at rest tends to stay, you know, that way. But you say, Dadgummit, I believe I need God with me. I need to believe that God is at work in the world. The world is an unwell place, and I cannot deprive it of my prayers. I'm going to get up and go pray. I'm going to stop this business for a minute and go pray so that I can reenter the world as a new person, as an enlivened person. So I can bring something to bear as Christ pushes his life out of me. Use your schedule. Pray the hours. Pray in movement. Be hypocritical to your, be hypocritical to your feelings. And lastly this, pray short till your soul demands long. You just got to start somewhere. And we've been talking about this. We've been talking about all these aspects of prayer, but none of it will matter a hill of beans unless you just start doing it in some way. So pray for five minutes until five minutes just isn't enough. And then pray for 10. And pray for 10 until 10's not enough. And then pray for 30 until 30 minutes is not enough. And then pray for an hour until hour is not enough. And you're saying, what? It can happen, I promise you. You can start to find delight in this. You can start to find this is something I need. This is something that empowers me. This is something that changes me. This is something that helps me walk through the world. This is something that trains my hands for battle. This is something when I'm scared. Some of you are like my, or like me, like my, our dog. that Andrew says, lady is afraid of her own sneeze. She sneezes and gets spooked. That's weird. She is a very scared dog, which makes her useless for watchdogging-ness. But she's a lovely dog. But you touch that dog, she's about to get hit by a car, and I touch her, and she shrieks like she's got cancer through her body. You think, what's wrong with her? I just touched her. She says. She's a shepherd. Apparently, they shriek a lot. Some of you are afraid. When I called to you, you made me bold and stout-hearted. You find this out in prayer. Pray short until your soul demands long. Take a simple idea and take it very seriously. The simple idea is this, I will be with you. Are there people in here that will take that seriously and say, what would I do if God were really with me, if I believed it? You won't feel him with you. Some of you, you don't feel until you're in the action. You feel afraid until you act. Paul is always saying stuff like, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given me. That means you've got to be in a situation and open your mouth. Jesus says when you walk through the fire, walk through the fire? You'll not be burned. You've got to do stuff. You put feet on those prayers. Take a simple idea and you take it very seriously. I close with this. Courtney McWhorter, our youth leader, shared this quotation with me from The Help, which she was reading. I did not read it because I don't read books anymore. I only read short things on the internet. 
but I did see the movie. And she says this. I can't help but wonder what she was going to ask me in Miss Leifold's kitchen about do I want to change things. Not to mention her asking me the whereabouts of Constantine, her maid, growing up. I know what happened between Constantine and Miss Skeeter's mama, and ain't no way I'm going to tell her that story. The thing is, though, if I start praying for Miss Skeeter, I know that conversation going to continue the next time I see her, and the next, and the next, because that's the way prayer do. It's like electricity. It keeps things going. The thing is, though, if I start praying for her, I know that conversation is going to come up again and again and again and again because that's the way prayer do. It's like electricity. It keeps things going. Do you wonder why the apostle would say, devote yourself to prayer? Take a simple idea and take it very seriously. That's how you succeed. That's how you change the world. Take a simple idea. I will be with you. And say, is that like a kind of electricity that you and I and our world needs? The presence of God himself that keeps things going? Will you devote yourself to prayer? I dare you. Let's pray.